0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope when we trust in Your ways. We need You. Jesus is
1: real. If you let the Spirit of God search your heart, you—we all do that stuff. You start thinking, man, wouldn't it be amazing if this? Right? And now you might be saying, oh, well, Fusco, that's your heart. I'm not like that. OK. I think for most of us, the majority of us, we have these moments in our hearts where you're like, man, I can't believe that's in there.
0: So we come as a penitent. We come saying, God, I need your help. We all have issues. Some of us struggle with anger, bitterness, lying, you name it. There isn't a character flaw, sin, or transgression that people haven't experienced. Today, as we go through a psalm written by David, Pastor Daniel will remind us that God has always used people that seem like the least likely candidates to do his will. That essentially includes all of us since we're all unlikely people compared to the perfection of the Father. But still, he seeks us out, loves us, and sets us free. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message: a sad happy song.
1: One of the hardest parts of life, I believe, is the fact that life is almost always a mixed bag, isn't it? That what we really want is for everything to be exciting, and then you have these exciting moments, but they're always tempered, aren't they, by the inevitable calamity that happens in life. We have a tendency to say, okay, it's going to be summer vacation, right? And we're going to, it's going to be great. We're going to go on vacation. And then you get in the car and your child projectile vomits when you're driving down the road. Parents ever have that experience? Yeah. Yeah. That's why we all keep bags in our cars, right? Or you're like, man, if I could just get a raise at my job, then it's going to just kind of assuage all the money problems and then you get the promotion and you get the raise and then all of a sudden you get gray because of the stress from the added responsibility of your job, right? And, and the, the joy of an experience happens to become short lived because life has a tendency to be paradoxical a good word, it's, it means it, it's a paradox, it is both good and bad, there is sunshine but clouds. And it makes life kind of challenging, doesn't it, because you never really feel like it's the whole thing all the time. There's always multiple things going on. And I wanted to look in this Songs of Summer series at a psalm that is like that. Not because I just want to be a downer But because I love that the Bible is real life I know for me as a Somebody who grew up without much Um interaction with the bible it was always so easy to say oh yeah that's just an old book and it's archaic it's you know it's socially regressive i heard that in college you know the bible socially regressive we've come so much past that now and so because i didn't hadn't have any interaction or acquaintance with it really growing up and then you go to college and they tell you oh yeah i mean who can follow an old book because everything that's new that's really where it's at you know I just always kind of felt the Bible had nothing to do with real life, nothing to do with my life as a contemporary person. And it's amazing how you have those positions until you actually read it. Like I was challenged to do by a professor in college and a few friends. They're like, well, you, you never read it, so what do you know? Well, I do know it's an old book and it has nothing bearing on my life, even though I never read it. And then I started reading it and I was so taken by... How Street level the Bible really is don't get me wrong. There's deep concepts in there things that you would never think of or hear about other than in your Bibles But the Bible meets us no matter what generation we're in in the place of being human And there's really no better book for that than the book of Psalms because the Psalms deal with literally every human emotion every human emotion is somewhere in the Psalms, so I want you to open up your Bibles to Psalm Chapter 32, or the 32nd Psalm, as we're going to see today, a sad, happy Psalm. The 32nd Psalm has a special significance because it's one of the seven penitential Psalms, or the Psalms of penitent, the penitent. The idea here is that the psalmist is saying, look, I've made mistakes. So the reason these psalms have a special place for us is because each one of us, if we have a legitimate relationship with God, not our image of God, but the true and living God, we all come to God this way. We come to God saying, God, I don't have it all together. And God, me on my best day is still, I come needy. And the beauty is, is we don't just come to God the first day that way. For those of you who are walking with the Lord, you realize you come to God that way, what? Every day. Every single day you come to God and you say, you're God and you know that I am pretty messed up. And maybe over time of walking with God, the externals, the really horrific parts of our character, maybe gets uh, kind of worked out, but then you have the onion of my heart and your heart. And there's not one day that you don't come to the Lord and be like, Lord, yeah, I got issues, like I, I am judgmental and I am unkind and if I open my mouth and I don't think about what I'm going to say, the most horrific things come out of it and I, I'm racist and I'm sexist and I, I look at horrible things and I have horrible thoughts about other people and I, I've plotted how to kill that person about 19 different ways. <laughs> if you let the Spirit of God search your heart, you, we all do that stuff. You start thinking, man, wouldn't it be amazing if this, Right, And now you might be saying, oh, Fusco, that's your heart. I'm not like that. Okay. I think for most of us, the majority of us, we have these moments in our hearts where you're like, man, I can't believe that's in there. So we come as a penitent. We come saying, God, I need your help. And this psalm is about that. Now, it begins the psalm of David, and then my translation says in the the verse before the first verse a contemplation or the hebrew word is the maskil which there's a lot of disputes about what that actually means the word literally means instruction but people don't know if it's it's an instruction psalm or if that is actually like a musical reference like you know with a snappy beat to it or whatever so there's a lot of dispute as to what it means, but David wrote the psalm. And so as we read it, if you know the situations in the life of David, you're going to want to fill in what exactly he's talking about, because David's we know in the Bible, made uh, many, many mistakes. And so we have a tendency to want to fill in all the details of when he wrote it and why. And what's interesting is it doesn't necessarily reference one of David's specific calamities, on a side note, about David and his calamities, that's one of the things you should love about the Bible, that the Bible does not whitewash the main characters. There, each character in the Bible is really real. I mean, like Moses. You realize that all through the life of Moses, you realize that Moses has got anger management problems. I mean, think about it. He was a a, a prince of Egypt. He went out, he killed an Egyptian. I mean, listen, you could break up a fight and not kill somebody. And then you get to the end and he's hitting the rock and he's not allowed to go into the promised land because even though Moses loved the Lord, he didn't have it all together. You have David, the great king. Man, after God's own heart, we know he commits adultery. We know that he plans a guy's murder. We know that he ends up, he can be a lousy father and his family is falling apart. His own son Absalom rebels against his kingship. You have a man like Solomon who we call the wisest man to ever live. Yeah, Solomon really had it together. He had like a thousand women. And and God blessed him, and, and and these women came from the different lands, and Solomon's like, yeah, we're going to build a temple for your God. Great! This is the wisest man who ever, who ever lived. Oh, and then, of course, you got the Apostle Paul, right? He's a good guy, right? Persecuting the church? Yeah. Calling out Peter in front of the church in Galatia? Definitely the guy you want at your dinner party, you know? But I bring that up, you know why? Because oftentimes as people who love the Lord, we don't really think about the fact that all these people have significant issues. Significant issues. Not just like little issues, like every once in a while I get a little grumpy in the morning before coffee. It's like these are all radically flawed people who God is using and does a work through. The only person who doesn't have significant issues, of course, is Jesus. Unless, of course, you don't believe in Jesus... And then Jesus is absolutely paranoid, sociological, and completely out of his mind, because he says things like, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me, which is very normal to say. (laughs) I love that about my Bible. Because if you're writing this story just to make everyone think, this person should have written part of my, the God's inspired word, you'd say, "No, no, Paul, no, you go down the whole list and you're like, yeah, not that person. Definitely not that person. There's absolutely no way. And then you get to the prophets, of course, and you find out that Isaiah walked around naked for three years. He was on extended streaking. <laughs> you want him to preach at church, right? Can you imagine that? No, right? That's horrible. And then, of course, you have Ezekiel. He wrote a nice long book. He had crazy visions about all these angels. He laid on his side. He was lazy. He laid on his side for a long, long time and then flipped over on the other side like making flapjacks. (laughs) And he had to make bread, and he wanted to show the children of Israel what was going on. You know what he used for fuel for his bread? Yeah, human feces. Nice. You want to come over for some human feces bread? These are the people who God inspired to write our Bibles. Now, I'm having some fun. I wasn't planning on sharing all that, but I got on a roll. But you know why I bring it up? Because God wants to use you too, and he wants to use me. And God is not looking for someone with everything is all dialed in. It's all perfect. No. The only one who's got it all dialed in is Jesus. God says, look, I want you to come to me and no matter how quirky or awkward or how messed up your past is, if you come and devote your life to me and say, God, I want you to use my life, guess what he'll do? He'll use your life. And it doesn't matter what it's been. It doesn't matter. Sure, it has impact, but in God's economy, God chooses the least likely candidates, why? Because if you're like, look, I am so perfect. I mean, I've never done anything wrong. Then if God uses you, you'll be like, of course this is all happening, why? Because I got it all together. And you want to rob God's glory, which might be the worst thing we could do. So I hope that you feel like an online, listen, I'm not saying you gotta go make bad bread or something to try and get used by God. And please keep your clothes on for crying out loud. And don't kill anybody, please. But God uses unlikely people. Now, let's jump in. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll break it down into points. So Psalm 32, verse 1 said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, and and through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place and shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You can see why I've called this a sad, happy song. Because it's got both sides of the coin. Now look at what it says first. In verse one, it says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now you notice the twofold repetition of blessed. Blessed. Blessed is he. Blessed is the man. Now, In some of your translations, you know, in Matthew chapter five, one of the ways you can translate the word blessed is, oh, how happy, right? Oh, how happy. It's another word, a synonym for blessed. And what this teaches us is that Jesus makes us happy. Jesus makes us happy. Now, I think this is important for a number of reasons. First off, We live in a culture that is bent on happiness. And I'm here to tell you, that's a good thing about our culture. I mean, would anybody want to live in a culture that is bent on being unhappy? Anybody like, hey, yeah, that sounds, let's be unhappy all the time. So the human search for happiness is a good thing. Because if you're going to get one shot at life on this side of eternity, might as well be happy, right? But the rub is, or the problem is, or the issue is, is that our culture's attempts at happiness does not take into account what makes a person really happy. And so when you seek to be made happy by things that could never satisfy your soul, then you become even more unhappy. Does that make sense? When happiness is the goal and everything you try to be happy doesn't work, your unhappiness is greater because you're seeking happiness through these avenues that will never satisfy. Now, you and I know we've all tried a million ways to be happy. Can we just admit that? Happiness at the bottom of a bottle, happiness at the end of a joint, happiness at a certain socioeconomic status, happiness by buying a jet ski or a lake house, happiness at being married, happiness in kids, happiness at the bottom of a box of ding-dongs. Whatever your thing is, we've tried a million things to be happy, and all of us All of them, although maybe give a temporarily temporary boost of happiness, doesn't really make us happy. Because you know what happens when you find happiness by buying a jet ski? Then that thing breaks down. Or gas goes up to like $10 a gallon. Right? Or, oh, I need a trailer. Oh, I need a new car to be able to pull my jet ski. Oh, I'm not knocking jet skis. They're fun as all get out, you know? But then I need to find a place to keep it. And then, oh, it's got this, and it broke, and I got a diaper in the back of it, and it's all messed up, you know? (laughs) See, seeking happiness is just human. But wisdom comes from seeking happiness where only happiness can be found. There is no wisdom in trying to find happiness in everything Wisdom is saying, this will truly make me happy and seeking hard after it. Now, I said that Jesus makes us happy. Why? Look at what it says. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Now, notice this. There's two word, there's two blessings. There's three types of rebellion against God. And there are three ways that God deals with it. Notice the types of rebellion. The word is transgression. Then the word is iniquity. And then the word is sin. So you have transgression, sin, and iniquity. Now, most people would say that this is just synonyms. But if you're really stringent on your interpretation, transgression is an act of rebellion or disloyalty. Sin is an act that misses the mark, which is often intentional. And the idea of iniquity is a crooked or wrong act, and which is often associated with a conscious or intentional intent to do wrong. So all three of them are acts of rebellion. It's just a matter of what are the little nuances of the word, right? So all of us do those type of things, right? All of us have acts of disloyalty against God, against ourselves, against humanity. All of us miss the mark. And all of us sometimes are just premeditated and getting at being evil. All of us have that in our lives. But notice, the blessed person, the happy person, is the one who each one of those things, notice the three acts of God, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So the idea here is these three acts of human rebellion can all be rectified or fixed by God. And God does it, again, if we were being technical, each one of these words means something different. So the idea of being forgiven is an act of the removal of sin or guilt or the remembrance of sin. Who it's being covered means the idea of it's being purified or washed over and does not count or impute The idea of God holding it against your account. Now, you see why I would say that Jesus makes you happy? Because it's impossible to be truly happy until all of our acts of rebellion are dealt with. And you and I know, although David didn't know when he wrote this, that all this was going to take place in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the one who forgives our transgression. He is the one who God covers our sin through his blood. He is the one that although we fell because God gave all of the punishment for all of our mistakes to Jesus, he does not impute it to us. That is why for 2,000 years people have celebrated the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus does what you and I can't do on our own. And God said, look, the debt that you have is too great. It's too big. And I am going to forgive and I am going to cover and I am not going to hold against you all the things that you've done wrong. Now listen, I realize there's some of you here, you're like, that's why I believe in Jesus. Yes, praise the Lord. And there's other of you who are like, you know, I just don't want that from God. God will not make you believe it. But you need to figure out, what are you going to do for your transgressions, your iniquity, and your sin? And I'm here to tell you, humans have come up with a million things to try and fix that stuff. And I'm here to tell you, no matter what you do, you can't fix it. No amount of good deeds, no amount of charity. Listen, it's, I love the fact that in a culture like ours where there's some people who have extraordinary amounts of money, that guys like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Mark Zuckerberg, they're giving lots of money to charity. But I'm here to tell you, that's a wonderful thing, but that will never atone for all the mistakes anybody has made. No amount of financial giving, no amount of self sacrificial service for anybody can truly pay the debt. It's not possible. So, as much as I applaud them for doing it, that's a good thing. I'm here to tell you that you can't buy your way to forgiveness. You can't do it. And for many people, they've tried. And that's what religion is. Religion is how do I buy back my good standing with God? That's what religion is. You might be saying, oh, well, (laughs) Christianity is a religion. And I would say, you're right. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus who are still trying to buy their forgiveness back from God. But that is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says, listen, you can't do it. And your happiness comes through the finished work of Jesus.
0: Jesus is real. The psalm we heard today was about penitence. As we search our hearts, we find a lot of garbage. Pastor Daniel reminded us to consider the events in the life of David and consider his heart as he might have been reflecting on his transgressions as we should. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. We're confident that today's message has blessed and encouraged you. Jesus Is Real Radio is impacting communities all over the United States and even reaching those in prison. It's a wonderful ministry that you can be a part of. We'd like to invite you to partner with us. Through the month of June, we are encouraging you to pray about financially supporting Jesus is Real Radio. Your financial support helps us continue and expand the mission of proclaiming that Jesus is real. This month, we'd like to say thank you to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more by sending you a Jesus is Real Radio coffee box every morning when you fill up to start the day, you'll be reminded to pray for the team here at Jesus Is Real Radio. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on partner. There you'll find an option to make your donation and receive your Jesus Is Real Radio coffee mug. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share about what religion is for most people and how it could lead to thinking you need to buy forgiveness from God as we'll find that's not how salvation happens at all. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Songs of Summer. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.